0: going on hockey fans? Welcome to Casing the League on Believe Network where we get into NHL headlines, hot topics, but most importantly, best bets regarding your favorite players and teams. And especially now that we are in the most important and most exciting part of this season, we will be breaking down all of those Stanley Cup best bets. Heading into the new champion that'll be hoisting the Stanley Cup over their head. I am your host, Casey Hudson. You can follow me at the Sports Case K-A-S-E. You can also follow Casing the League or Believe Network. And it's time for us to do just that. Case the League and get into some top topics and headlines. Now, of course, first and foremost. We found out that there was a disappointing vote that went against the Arizona Coyotes, making a permanent home in Tempe, Arizona. Now, as soon as this news broke out, of course, it was disappointing for the fan base, for the organization and especially the players. But here's the thing. There was a couple other cities that decided to throw their hat in the ring and say, hey. We'll take the Coyotes. We'll give them a permanent home. And that was Houston, which we kind of heard speculation about a couple months ago. Kansas City was a new one that just randomly popped up. Atlanta, who is no stranger to being a hockey town. And then Utah, because apparently the Utah Jazz owner is not only a hockey fan, but wants to get involved in the business and likes the Coyotes. All this to say, last night... Arizona Coyotes across their social media platforms address the fact that the Arizona Coyotes will play at the mullet this 2023-24 to season, and they will continue negotiations to find a permanent home for the Arizona Coyotes in the Valley. So it sounds like regardless of the cities that don't mind hosting them, uh, they're going to try to do everything possible to remain in Arizona, and it's kind of the best thing to do for a couple of reasons. That fan base was so devastated when that vote came in for no, but it's also the fact that they've tried to start growing this dynasty and – making a hockey town out of Arizona, they're getting forced out just kind of feels like super shitty. So them trying to stay in Arizona is not much of a surprise, but if it becomes too complicated, obviously they're going to have to start exploring other cities and other places, and they're going to have to do so kind of swiftly because the other hard part is you've got to maintain players' interest here. No player wants to really be a part of an organization. They can transition at any moment. And especially guys that kind of have those easy negotiable contracts where they can be traded or kind of exit out or at the end of their contract You're looking at losing some potential. Now, this team is young. We saw some flashes of a lot of potential. We saw some great things out of their youngest players. And you want to maintain all of that. That's the best way to build a dynasty. you got to get that core. you got to get that foundation. you got to build from there. So hopefully the Arizona Coyotes can remain in Arizona and find a workable deal and stay home. When uh, the news broke here, you had Commissioner Gary Bettman, of course, make a statement. It just simplifies to the fact that there was a lot of disappointment involved in this vote. No. They weren't really expecting it. They thought it was a lucrative deal, not only for the community, but for the organization. And it just doesn't seem like that was viewed by all parties. So in simple, there was just a lot of disappointment to go around. Now, while Arizona is dealing with so much instability, and hopefully they'll get some things settled throughout the summer, hitting the top of that 2023-24 season, there are question marks, and not as dramatic as it sounds, but there was some turbulence in Toronto. Toronto GM Kyle Dubas had his exit presser where he answered a lot of questions and also alluded to a lot of things, if if that even explains much of anything. Uh, Of course, he does not want to leave Toronto. He said he basically doesn't want to start over or do this anywhere else. He loves Toronto. He loves being a GM there. He wants to remain a Maple Leaf GM. That may not come without or with a payday. Now, to put him in the same ballpark as other GMs in the league, he is going to have to get an increase in his salary, and I'm sure he's going to be looking forward to that as he's wearing the GM hat while they made great trade deadline acquisitions and they finally broke a 20-year curse exiting around one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So all this to take in mind while the Toronto Maple Leafs may or may not be maintaining their core four. That was one of the other things that he alluded to. It was that this core four may not be staying together. And if there was one guy to end up leaving this core four, who do you think would be the odd man out? Now, when it comes to the pay conversation, you've got Austin Matthews, who posted 40 goals and 85 points this season. And he's obviously been one of the top X factors for the Maple Leafs. I can't really picture the Maple Leafs without picturing Matthews. But With the extension that he now wants, the fact that he wants to stay in Toronto, that's going to come at a large lump sum. You're talking about this guy becoming potentially one of the top paid players in the NHL. Now, there's only a handful of guys that have $10 million plus contracts and Austin Matthews would have to touch or, you know, supersede that now. Toronto is not really in conversations of having cap issues, but if you're going to increase the pay of your GM, which might be deservedly so, whether you like him or not, and then you're going to maintain the guys that you acquired, and then you got to pay other guys that deserve to remain in the Leafs jersey, this could come into some complications. So I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Hit me up over at the Sports Case K A S E or Casing the League. If there is an odd man out, who do you think it is? Because also. Another guy who wants to remain in the Maple Leafs jersey is William Nylander. He was a 40-goal guy with 87 points, and I'm sorry, but he's just so freaking exciting to watch play, and he's so good at distributing a puck and helping out his teammates execute and generate an offense. I think it would be a tough loss to see Nylander in a different jersey. So. Who's the odd man out? Who deserves a payday? And do you think Austin Matthews can get that payday and stay with the Maple Leafs? So many questions, but that's what makes summer and off season a lot more fun uh, if you're not playing for the Stanley Cup. Now, the other bit of Canadian drama taking place, which is not even that much drama, it's over at the Oilers. They had that devastating elimination. It's been tough to watch them come so close and and not be able to execute here, especially when you've got some of the two top, most elite NHL players breaking records, stacking up accolades, and they can't close the deal. Now, of course, it's not all on Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. And regardless of the many different historic records that Dreisaitl himself posted in the postseason, that's a fun thing to say altogether. Uh, he chalked up this entire season to a failure, and I don't entirely blame him to get so close to be so skilled, to have so many pieces in motion working in your favor. That was just a big ball to drop versus the Vegas Golden Knights who were t- rotating out, what, three different goalies and accumulating injuries of their own over there. But they were just the better team and executing and forcing the game to go their way in many instances. I mean, you can't. Compete if your goaltender is inconsistent. And I hate to say this because I do like Stuart Skinner, but there was too much inconsistency in between the pipes. And it's not even all on him. Obviously, it comes down to the guys playing in front of him, the defensive structure in the D zone. There's a lot of other elements here, but I don't blame Dry for saying, hey, this has been a big failure. Connor McDavid, on the other hand, is still a lot more positive to the fact that they have plenty of enough foundation to take this team back to the Stanley Cup playoffs next year and hopefully go further than just the second round. Hopefully. They'll be, I don't know, hosting, hoisting a Stanley Cup over their head, which brings me to the larger question here. Is next year finally the year that a Canadian team wins the Stanley Cup after coming so close? Now, the most positive thing you can say here is that every Canadian team showed so much strive, so much potential. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets, if they don't completely fall apart from the toxic organization that they're running over there, they've got key guys. I mean, top defensemen in the league, one of them, one of the top five goaltenders who clearly probably is not going to stay there and so many other key pieces. But the hard part is that destruction starts from the head and they've got to figure out some staffing situations before they can try to maintain any of these players. Then you got the Calgary Flames. They were so fun to watch throughout the season. I mean, I thought they were going to go a lot further than they did, but they still have great core pieces and play there to Have this team make a run next year. Then you've got Toronto who broke their 20-year curse. They're not going to stop at the first round next year. Uh, you got to give credit where credit's due. And then you've got, obviously, the Oilers and the top two elite players in the NHL. So these Canadian teams have so much going for them in a sense where you can finally see them compete. I mean, before they lost Bo Horvat, the Canucks were in there in contention to compete because they were, I think, averaging 3.5 to 6 goals per game. It was insane in the first half of the season, at least. So a lot of potential, but I want to hear if you guys think that if next year, 2024, if it's finally the year that a Canadian team holds the cup up again because they haven't done it since 1993 when the Montreal Canadiens were the victors there. Now, speaking of playoffs, speaking of Stanley Cup, speaking of who the next champion will be, let's get into some Stanley Cup odds. Let's get into the fun part. Betting. Now, when we're looking at this, obviously we're down to our final four, and we are just a few weeks away from seeing who our new victor will be. Carolina Hurricanes favored at a plus 225, taking on the Florida Panthers at a plus 330. Then you got the Vegas Golden Knights at a plus 260, taking on the Dallas Stars at a plus 310. I have to say, I don't think the Dallas Stars get enough conversation around their team. They've had deep playoff runs for the past four or five seasons. They have continued to show up. And I think they're pretty stacked top to bottom, and it's not always big name people. And then, how do they consistently find these goalies that shut teams down? They're just, they're really exciting to watch when you pay attention and the amount of names that they have on their roster they can contribute. It's just, this is why you see them in a postseason, and this is why you're seeing them in a Western Conference final. Now, more importantly, Game one of the Eastern Conference Final goes down tonight at 8 p.m., and when we're talking about betting on Casing the League with believe Network, we're going to have some fun with it. That's the best part. So down here, you're going to see cash it, case it, cut it. What does that mean exactly? Well, cash it means you like the bet. You and I see eye to eye. You agree. You feel where I'm coming from. I feel where you're coming from. We love this bet, and we're going to keep it nice and simple. Case it means I got to look into it a little bit more. I'm not going to be hasty. Nobody wants to be hasty with their money. I get it. Don't do it. Once you look into it more, get some more information, statistics, whatever it is that you need, then you might hop back over to cashing it. Now, if you don't want to cash it, if you've cased it and you still don't love it, then you cut it means that you don't see eye to eye with me, means you hate the bet, means that it disturbs you, disgusts you, you're not a fan of it, or really just it's a no for you. And that's totally fine too. So just keep that in mind as we break down best bets, starting with the Eastern Conference final game one between the Panthers and the Canes. Cash it, case it, cut it. Let's get into it. Now, heading into any series, I like to keep the bets nice and simple. I like to talk about the point gods. Yes, you heard me, point gods. Because these are the guys that help generate an offense. These are the guys that get things going. They're the conductors in my brain. Then you got your anytime scorers. They're the executors. They finish the job. They polish everything off. Nice. Then you got block shots. I love this because what is a great hockey game without some big defensive moments? And then last but not least, very much not least, it's shots on goal, nice and simple. And these guys are kind of in the same category as your point gods. So we're going to go with four categories, nice and easy, really quick. But before we break down these best bets and I find out what you're going to cash, case, or cut, let's compare these two teams. Now, you've got the Florida Panthers that were the lowest seed heading into playoffs underestimated, underdogs, all the things that you can say. And of course, Carolina Hurricanes post a tremendous graphic today talking about some here kitty kitty. And the Panthers love to be called out. So that just gets me that much more hype for this game. But Heading into this matchup, let's talk from a special teams perspective for two seconds. You've got the Florida Panthers, who are sixth in the league in, in their power play right now in the playoffs, versus the Carolina Hurricanes, who sit at ninth in the league with their power play. Now, we know heading towards that trade deadline acquisition, they tried to get better with their power play and pick up some skilled guys just for that in particular, but the Hurricanes have been plagued with injuries, so it's not their fault. But guess what? Where they balance the scales is that they have the top penalty kill unit in the NHL. While the Florida Panthers have the 13th penalty kill unit in the NHL. Yeah, so this goes into a lot of special team action. You're looking at something that is not going to swing in favor of the Florida Panthers if they are not on the power play. Something to keep in mind. Also, something in favor for the Carolina Hurricanes is the fact that they outshoot their opponent seven to one. And the Florida Panthers don't outshoot anybody. They sit one to two. That's just kind of pitiful. But Taking all of that off the board. Let's talk periods. Let's break it down to the big three. Who are the biggest, most competitive guys when it comes to the first and third period? That's your Florida Panthers. That's where they pick up the most shots and that's where they score the most goals, especially in the third period with 15 throughout these playoff series first period they post about 127 shots third period they post about 125 now where do the hurricanes sit in comparison to this well their biggest period is the second where they post 128 goals and they've picked or 128 shots excuse me and they've picked up 20 goals throughout the playoffs so If the Florida Panthers set the tone nice and early and forced the Carolina Hurricanes to play their game, we're going to be looking at a very tight series. I know the conversation revolves around how fast Carolina is and how they are the best defensive team in the league. But something that a lot of people are not giving the Florida Panthers enough credit for is the fact that they just have no – tire they have no quit. I kind of try to steer clear of the no quit because I swear every team made that their slogan heading into playoffs. But if there's a real team that hoists the definition of no quit, it's the Florida Panthers. You haven't seen them extremely gas themselves out. They do better at wearing out their opponents before you see any signs of them being tired themselves. And it's not just the physical battle, it's the mental battle and it's the fact that they have such a sharp next man up mentality over there because if it's not Kachuk, if it's not Verhagi then it's Duclair, if it's not Montour, then it's Reinhardt. If it's not Reinhardt, it's Bennett. There's just so many guys that can step in and fill large shoes on this team, and that's why they have such large voters on them, and they can play 60 minutes of hockey. I'm not discounting the fact that Barowski has bailed them out of a lot of situations, so quickly touching on the guys between the pipes. Both of these teams have a sharp starting goalie and backup goalie. Both of these Teams trust both of these goalies and all four goalies sit above a 900 save percentage. So we're looking at a very tight contest heading into this Eastern Conference final game one. So let's get it on. Let's head into our point gods, and you can't have a point god conversation without this guy right here. Matthew Kachuk, over one and a half points at a plus 145 for a number of reasons. You got to love and respect a guy that walks into a locker room and tells his team it ain't over till it's over. We're going to a game seven. Not only did they go to a game seven, but they kicked out the president trophy winners, marched into round two, commanded three to four games out the gate Knocked out the Toronto Maple Leafs and now sit in the Eastern Conference Final. Again, I repeat, as the lowest seed heading into playoffs. Yeah, they also are so dominant on the road. This team is 6-1 and in the road. Yeah, six wins. That's playoff history for being remarkably good, not on home ice. So them starting off in Carolina or anywhere else doesn't intimidate them whatsoever. So post here, kitty kitty all you want, but that's not going to make these team feel inferior by any means whatsoever. And that's what makes this that much more exciting to watch. So Matthew Kachuk, sharp leader for this team, a guy who always has his stick involved in top plays, come in and clutch, and a guy you can rely on over one and a half points at plus 145. Now, over on the other bench, you got to talk about Jordan Martinuk, over just half a point at a plus 105 value. Yeah, Martinuk is that guy. First of all, just the plays that he produced in the last three games versus the New Jersey Devils is something to just love and kind of like all over. Second of all, he's picked up a point in every single game in the last series, so he's consistently going to work. His passes in the slot to set up his teammates for success, chef's kiss. So somebody that you want involved and somebody that you know can pick up points, especially at a low standard that's just a .5, Martin is somebody that you want to take all day. That's a steal bet in my personal opinion. Also, something else to keep in mind is that he's 18th in the league when it comes to the playoff conversation and assists with seven assists. And he just continues to produce in the point column. So take Jordan Martin over that half a point at a plus 105 sharp value there. Now for your anytime scores. As I just went on a rant about the Florida Panthers have guys that can step in and step up at any moment. We've seen different guys come in the ice in different games. We've seen different goal scorers in different games, and we've seen – Some consistent clutch players. Carter Verhege is one of those guys. I got a chance to cover him when he played for the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, in that 2020 bubble. And he was a clutch player. He goes to work in those dirty areas. He posts greasy goals. He's that guy that doesn't overthink the shot or take the extra pass. And you're going to need those kind of guys in these big playoff moments, especially against good goaltending. So Carter Verhege, anytime goal at a plus 155. Another guy. Some people might wonder how I got here. No, it's not Aho. No, it's not Neches. No, it's not Nason. No, it's not a lot of the guys that we should be talking about. Foss, another one. Great in the face-off circle, 50% plus. But for me, it's going to be Kotkanemi. Why? Because he showed up in game two versus the Devils, posting his two goals. He's picked up numerous points throughout the entire series. And he's somebody who can help alleviate the pressure from an Aho, Neches, Foss. And I think that that's going to come in huge versus the Florida Panthers team because, as I mentioned, the Panthers don't exactly tire easily. They have a huge physical exa- uh, advantage on their hands. And if they try to isolate or eliminate top guys like Ajo, Neches, Foss, and um, Brady Shea, and all these other guys, they're big contributing factors to getting goals. It's going to come down to a guy who sneaks in there, and I think Kakanemi is that guy that can sneak in there and produce and help his team out and pick up some anytime goals. Uh, he does well with being kiss, consistent with picking up points. His shot on goal average probably sits about two to three, but he does make them count when it needs to. So just kind of stick with me there on that one. I'm not I'm not exactly all the way hell-bent on convincing everybody that it's a cash-in, but if you're, if you're hesitant, case it. Think about it. Just give it two more seconds. Now, for your guys in block shots defense, we're talking about the best defensive team in the league, but we're also talking about a top physical team that just goes out there and relentlessly plays some good hockey. Uh, Brandon Montour, over one and a half block shots at a minus 125, especially when it comes to the penalty kill. He does so well at tracking back. Uh, Not only does he just play up front and have no problem pushing the puck forward, but he does well in the D zone. So Guy who's not afraid to put his body on the line. You want to take Brandon Montour for that over one and a half block shots at a minus 125, but another guy who does this to just a whole nother level, completely elite defenseman, it's going to be Jacob Slavin, over one and a half block shots, plus 100, great value there. And this is a number of reasons. Slavin's such an anchor on the blue line. And, again, he's fearless when it comes to putting his body on the line. And you can't do that as a top penalty kill unit in the NHL and not load up on block shots. So I feel like this is kind of a steal bet, too, especially in particular for this defenseman. And then Brandon Montour popping back in the conversation. Because second to last, but not least, shots on goal. Brandon Montour... Haste the Panthers for nine shots on goal in their last game versus the Maple Leafs. Nine shots on goal. Do you know how insane that is? Games before that, he was picking up five shots on goal, six shots on goal. I mean, I think his minimum is four shots on goal. This guy just goes to work. And he does not stop working until that final whistle blows. That might sound like a football reference, but it still counts for hockey. So anyway, over two and a half shots on goal. Again, low standard, great value, minus 150. I'm sure he's going to hit well over two and a half shots on goal. I would beg to differ that he would at least take a minimum of four to five shots on goal. And then as for the actual shots on goal guy or God, whatever you want to say. Brent Burns, over three and a half shots on goal at a minus 110. Now, he's somebody else who posts insane numbers in this column. I mean, six, seven, eight, nine shots on goal consistently. I think there was only two games in the last series where he recorded under five shots on goal. And as a whole throughout playoffs, he's posted 41 shots. He's just insane. He picked up a few goals here and there, and I think he's going to dial up another level coming to this Eastern Conference Final Game 1, or Eastern Conference Final as a whole, but Brett Burns deserves so much, so much praise and respect on his name for just the dominant game that he plays as a defenseman. He's so exciting to watch, and I think that it's going to be a shoe in for him to hit this over three and a half shots on goal at a minus 110. Now, some other good news for the Hurricanes as we head into this Game 1 tonight at 8 p.m. is the fact that... Uh, Coach Rod Brendamore gave the green light and a thumbs up to Tebo Teravainen joining the lineup. And this can actually be a huge edge for the Hurricanes. As I mentioned, they're a fast team. They're very defensively sound. And while the Florida Panthers are going to try to wear them down, it's going to be hard to wear down more talented guys. You know, they've kind of been limited when they've just had Aho, Neches, Foss being their top scoring guys. But if they start isolating those guys out, and as I mentioned, Kakinemi stepping in, um, Pesci stepping in, brave shape, stepping in. You've got other guys that can step in and get this offense going. And Tara Vinon is one of those top guys. He broke his hand, I think, uh, April 19th and hasn't been in the lineup since then. So this is going to be a huge, huge advantage for the Hurricanes. If it's that unexpected for the Panthers and they overkey in on this guy. But either way, we're looking at a solid matchup between these two teams. Hopefully not a lot of special teams. We want to see them go to work on even strength. And this is going to be a huge test to see just how darn good are the Florida Panthers. Can that motor keep pace with a fast, defensively dominant team that's also just extraordinarily coached? I can't say it enough. Rod Brendamore is great. And the fun fact about this is that you've got Rod Brendamore, who was a player in a conference final, while Paul Maurice, the Florida Panthers coach, was a coach. So these guys have been on opposite sides of the bench, but a part of a final together once upon a time. So let me know your thoughts on these bets. What will you cash? What will you case? What will you cut? And I can't wait to break down. The Western Conference final game one with you guys. Because as I mentioned, Dallas, not talked about enough. Vegas, Golden Knights just keep sneaking in there. And guess what? After so many years of them making their own run consistently, they're ready for their payoff. And they've got, I think, six or seven guys on their roster who are already Stanley Cup champions. And that Stanley Cup mentality, that veteran presence, it comes in big in the Stanley Cup finals. So, don't forget to join us here on Casing the League. Do not forget to follow me at the Sports Case, K A S E, at Casing the League as well. And then Believe Network. Stay up to date on all the great shows on Believe Network, whether it's hockey, basketball, football, or anything else. And until next time, guys, I am Casey Hudson, and I cannot wait to catch you back here on Casing the League. <music>